Gina Washington's story is an unlikely story. It's full of high highs and low lows. It starts with a dream scenario of having a hit record while you're still in high school, becoming a teen idol basically overnight, and then having it all stripped away abruptly by the Vietnam War. Two years go by. By the time Gino finally emerges, uh, he's disillusioned and disoriented. He finds himself trying to break back into what's become a very unfamiliar music business. He discovers that suddenly there's a competing soul singer, also named Gino Washington. And in general, he finds himself staring down an uncertain future as an artist and as a man. But ultimately, this is a story of perseverance and eventually success uh, on his own terms. And that's what we're going to hear from Gino Washington in his own words. Greetings from Detroit. My name is Mike Dukevich. This is One Record. So I'd like to start off with some tape of my friend Jeff Meyer providing context for a few of the key aspects of Gina Washington's story. Jeff has done as much as anyone to bring veteran Detroit artists back to the stage, Gino included, uh, on top of being a very prolific musician in his own right, uh, starting up bands like Rocket 455 and the Detroit Cobras. He also has assembled many bands to get behind greats like Nathaniel Mayer, Andre Williams, Melvin Davis, Spider Turner. Uh, most recently, he's been very active with Ultimate Ovation. He's become friends with Gino over the years, and he's still very much a fan of, of the records. And he is going to give us the lowdown. Gino Washington, huh. was he maybe the first crossover star of Detroit, crossing R&B with rock and roll, targeting all audiences, not a black audience or a white audience, but everybody. Everybody loved Gino. This was a truly integrated scene and he was, he was the guy, you know? His band was a white band from the suburbs and he was an inner city black dude doing, doing rock and roll. People at the village, Mitch Ryder, other white performers learned from Gino. The Village was a teen club that was on Woodward, downtown Detroit, what they call Midtown now, but back then known as the Cass Corridor. And uh, it was a place where all the teenagers from the city would go and hang out. It was an integrated crowd, one of the first scenes like that in the city. And Gino was like king of that scene. He was the one with the first big hits. And between him and Nathaniel Mayer, they ruled the roost of local Detroit rock and roll, pre-Motown, pre-MC5 and Stooges and Grandy Ballroom. 
he sort of epitomized the early 60s. I think like 62, 63 is like the epitome of Detroit rock and roll. Bands like the Dynamics and Nolan Strong and the Diablos and Nathaniel Mayer and Geno Washington, all these really rock and roll. You know, people thought rock and roll was dead, but not in Detroit. It was alive and well and, and at its peak. Back in the early 90s, my band, the Detroit Cobras, we were unearthing these tunes. We'd go to flea markets or record shops or yard sales and find records. And one of the records I found was um, Out of This World by Geno Washington. And I played it for the group and we decided we wanted to give it a shot. And it was one of the first songs we learned was Out of This World. Little did I know a few years later I would meet Gino. I was sitting there outside, a bunch of picnic tables, and there was Gino playing. And he was a master of the crowd. And I was enchanted by his, um, his performance and his um, connection with people. Many years later, Gino got a gig at the uh, Detroit Taste Fest, and he asked me and my band to back him up, and that was an amazing time, and we've been friends, and we've played music together ever since. I think Gino feels very fortunate to be where at, where he's at in life. I think he, he's trying to reach out to the community and share his, his good fortune and his experience and his expertise mentoring and producing and guiding you know, inner city kids, and not just kids, people, whoever, whoever wants to have a start, he's opened his studio up to them and is a guiding light to people in a very complex industry. His whole output post-Vietnam and some of it pre-Vietnam is, it, he owns it all. It's amazing and it's empowering, I think, for him to maintain his um, integrity and maintain control of his art, which is, a rarity back then. He was like one of the first DIY people, putting out his own records, financing his own sessions, doing, you know, getting his own bands together, and, and he did it all himself. I am a Gino Washington, uh, born in Detroit, raised in Detroit, but I've been everywhere, but I'm, I'm a Detroiter. I guess it was a gift uh, concerning the music because I started writing songs at 11, 12, 13 years old. And the one that um, became a hit was Out of This World. And I wrote that at 13 and a half years old. When I got to high school, um, I started recording locally different songs at a studio by my house owned by a gentleman named uh, Warren Quates. And uh, I used to go there and watch the musicians, the Falcons, people like that record at a studio, you know. Then um, a year later, 17, I recorded uh, I'm a Coward in, in high school and it didn't sell. Then before I left high school, I recorded, I changed it around to Gino is a Coward and gave it a pop feel. 
mm-hmm. and that's the one that sold. So you, uh, so you were in high school, and you're putting out records. Correct. Uh, what was that like for your peers? Well, they never seen a guy as young as me write music, doing head arrangements, and putting out records. You know right. what I'm saying? When I put out uh, "I'm a Coward," um, they they played it on the R&B stations here, and. Uh, the kids at school were saying, do, uh, do you know Gino Washington? I never told him it was me. Oh, really? No, I didn't. I told him, yeah, he's a, he's a good friend of mine. You know, he's a, uh, you know, he, he's a relative, a close relative, you know. They said, you don't know him, blah, blah, blah. So okay. So there was an Ernie Dorman, a DJ here. He used to have a night at uh, 20 grand. So he was announcing, be sure and see Gino Washington at the blah, blah, blah. They said, we going to see him? I said, yeah, I'm going to go. So anyway, all the kids were there from Persia and everybody to see, you know, the one who recorded the record. They were shocked when I walked out there and they seen me, you know? Yeah. From that day, they never doubt my capability, you know what I'm saying? Did you become uh, an overnight sensation in high school? Everybody wanted to be your best friend after that. Oh uh, yes, and what happened is uh, there were some girls there, like at school, you know. And I come from thirteen kids. Oh wow! And we really didn't have anything, you know. So the girls used to say, you know, you're nice looking, but you raggedy. I'm to my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard the guy right. Your name is George. Correct. Were you going by George in high school, and that's why people weren't right. connecting you with Gina? Correct. So where where did Gino come from? That's that- my middle name. Oh, okay. Right. And so that decision to put that on the label, uh, was that yours? Was that the record label? Or? That was my decision because I'm the one that was writing all the music and producing it. So that's why I controlled what I was doing at a very early age. Do you remember your, like, the first time you heard your record on the radio? or can you Oh, t- yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we was in the car, and um, it just blew my mind. And see, even there, by me being so young and producing records... Uh, I used to take my records around to the radio stations, to all the DJs, you know. So then one particular station looked at me point blank and told me, uh, you're too young to be doing this stuff. We don't like this record. He threw it in the garbage right in front of me. Do you remember who that was or what mm, station it was? That was on WCHB in Inkster. So what happened is I, I uh, took the record at Ernie Dorm, which was WGLB, um, he said, Gino, he says, I love this record. He said, but it's a pop record. It's not R&B. He said, let me um, make a phone call. And why don't you all go over there to CKLW and, and let them hear your music. So we went over there at CKLW. They loved the record. They said, okay, we're going to play this record. But we're doing a concert with uh, Cassius Clay and Lloyd Price at Cobo Hall. I want you to come and perform this song. So I went there, and that Monday, all the newspapers wrote about me. The following week, everybody jumped on the record. Yeah. Even the radio station that threw my, put Gino as a coward in the basket. You were lonely. You were lonely. Mm, you 
just when I was really getting ready to really blow up international, I got drafted and went to Vietnam. Were you expecting that notice to come through at the time? I know that, you know. No, I went to California and came back. Two weeks later, I was gone. Didn't give me a chance to do anything, you know. Back then, being very honest, it was very prejudiced against uh, minorities, Jewish and blacks. They were in a service, they, they were really prejudiced, okay. And by them looking at my history, and I was different, they didn't like me. You know what I'm saying? They really didn't. And they would do a lot of stuff to hurt me, but they couldn't. They tried to break me down as a person because I would express myself how I feel. You know what I'm saying? My first night in Vietnam, I spent in grave registration. Bodies were stacked up like bricks. You see what I'm saying? And knowing, being honest, they had no right to send me to Vietnam in the first place because number one is I couldn't take a collar and a flu shot. So in Vietnam, I got really sick, caught all Agent Orange. My hand, my feet, everything used to break out. So they sent me to Japan for seven months. And then uh, I got a, a medical release in Japan. They tried to cover it up. So all together, how, how long was your deployment? Almost two years, but seven months in the hospital. How long did it take you to, to kind of refocus yourself uh, to get back into music, do you think? Well, did it when take I some came time? over to Vietnam, I'd seen so much over there. You know, uh, for two years, I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. I know? can imagine. I didn't. So two years of entertainment, things change. Mm -hmm. So I came home. I thought I had money, but I didn't have anything because Swan and Scepter had went bankrupt. So at that time, I decided I was going to write, produce, own, publish my own music board, that would never happen to me again. Mm -hmm. And I got together with some attorneys and they formed all this for me, and the rest is history. You know? And even today I just think about all this music I then wrote, where did it come from? But it was a gift. And right now, um, I own 98% uh, of all my music, publishing everything, masters and everything. And the reason, that's very rare, very rare. Very rare. Mm -hmm. And um, what I did, the first record I wrote um, when I came home was a record called What Can a Man Do When He Lost Everything. That was a local hit, R&B local hit, you see? So that really got me going again, you know? Then it made me feel good, my music was happening, but back then, times changed. Well, you big this year, next year you ain't big, you know what I'm saying? But I've learned, um, if you're gonna be an entertainer, I believe you gotta, just like a fighter, you gotta work it out, have a little secret to why you can win, you see? So I developed all kind of different dances, splits and all that stuff and with my vocals and everything too, you know. You know, sometimes I get that feeling that I just, I just can't go on. You want to know why? Because I lost everything I had and my love left me. But it's one thing I want to know. What can I man do? So perhaps the most 
bizarre part of the Gina Washington story is the other Gina Washington. Around the time that our Gino, Detroit Gino, Gino with an I, was serving in the military in Vietnam, there was another American serviceman in the UK. His name was William Francis Washington, but soon everyone would know him by the name Gino, Gino with an E. He started a group called the Ram Jam Band, and they became very popular on the British nightclub scene, doing all the standard soul hits of the day. And this would soon cause a lot of problems for Gino, uh, problems that are still apparent today. And if you want to see what I mean, just try to Google Gino Washington with an I. Very quickly, you'll realize that your query has been corrected, and suddenly you have all the information you've ever wanted about Gino with an E. One thing I was reading about that period we were talking about when you were in the service, it sort of implied that there was uh, a deliberate attempt by the other Gino Washington to kind of capitalize on your absence from music. Do you feel like that's true? Yes. Well, I call those uh, Gino Washingtons, franchise Gino Washingtons. That's what they are. There's a franchise uh, Gino Washington in Spain. There's a uh, franchise Gino Washington in England. Because back then... Um, there was no internet. Sure. You see? And the guy um, in England, he was in the Air Force, right? He got an Air Force. So what he did, he got with some people. I had the first all-white band back in the day. He got an all-white band. You see what I'm saying? The pictures I took, if you go back and look at those early uh, pictures, it's almost copycat of what I did. You see what I'm saying? So I didn't realize, was he also doing your songs? Because I know he, was, he didn't do any originals. No. Okay. He wasn't doing my song, but his music was lousy. <laughs> you know, it was about, by the name of Gino, right. you know, people thought it was me. Because back then, they were bootlegging my records all over the world. Bootlegging them. Wow. Selling them. In fact, they're still bootlegging them in England. Atac and then Washpan. Right. Those are those are two companies. Were there others? Well, Dore D. I had a perfector. I, I, you find a lot of records on different labels, and there was a reason why. Let me tell you a story. Okay. I formed perfector. My brother came over the house. I had uh, twenty-one dollars in my name. I just had gotten married. One one scepter. Dad went bankrupt. He says, well, uh, I'm going to racetrack. Do you want to go? My wife, no, you don't want to go. You only got $21. He said, come on, let's go. You may win. I went there. I played, uh, was it, uh, two, nine, five. That's what I played. And the horses was running. So I went to the bathroom. My brother came in excited. He said, guess you won. I said, well, get on out of here. I'd won a perfecta. So a perfecta is hitting all three numbers, or, or? Mm -hmm. almost eleven thousand dollars in the sixties. That was a lot of money, and even now it's quite a bit of money. And that's how I really started back in the business. Wow. Really. Ah, yeah. Baby, can you hear me? 
And by the name Gino, a lot of people thought I was Italian. Sure. You see what I'm saying? Because one place we went, I had my clothes, and, uh, you know, I asked them what the dress room was. They said, uh, are, you, are you the valet for Gino Washington and Jeffrey Lennox? I said, no, I'm not. He said, well, who are you? I said, well, I'm Gino Washington. He said, you're Gino? I thought Gino Washington was Italian. You know what I said? Mama Mamiya. <laughs> Being honest, I never stayed at all black motel, hotel. I, they put me exactly where Jeff and everybody was. Okay. I never, I didn't go through that. The really prejudice I went through was in the service. Believe me. I found a letter in my MOS, the letter stated, he don't suppose to be going to Vietnam, but he's a smart ass, send him anyway. Wow. Yep. You found that after the fact? It was in my MOS, medical. I took a copy of it, and when I came home uh, in California, the guy looked at me and said, you supposed to be dead. To my face. Wow. When you were deployed, were you working on music at all? Was it yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Was it released at any point? What happened was, even with my music, if you listen to my early music, it was all happy. For a while, when I came home Vietnam, my music was sad. All of it was sad. Gino's car was happy. Oz World was happy come back with me till the time. All, all the music was happy music. But when I came home from Vietnam, my songs were sad. Mostly all of them from experience. Was it a cathartic thing you were working through? Well, Did so, you feel better after writing the sad music? No. Mm -hmm. No. It's just like anything else, man. You know, um, once you go to the service and things happen, you're very alert, you know? And certain things you do, you don't even know that you're doing it. Believe me, you don't. Um, right now, I can go into a restaurant. I sit in the back where I can see every doggone thing. I can't have anyone behind me. There's a lot of things that happen to you. You don't, you don't even uh, be aware of. I can tell you a lot of miracles in my life. You see what I'm saying? When I was in Vietnam, I got sick. I went to the doctor. That morning, they blew up the hotel where I was living. So let me know that I'm here for a reason. You know? I got beaten up and robbed and left for dead. I'm still here. I'm not alone. God had allowed me to stay here. And also with that, you, you got to help folks too. You got to help folks with the music and everything, okay? That's why I formed this company. Not that I'm going to get rich. I have to give it back. Yeah. Because you have to, you know? Because there's people like me as a kid need a break. 
and they know if they come here, they're going to get that break, you know? That's why I opened up this place. Because, as you know, entertainment is dog-eat-dog, man. Believe me. It's a rough business. And you let, I call, I call people buzzards. If you let the buzzards fly down and change your thought and think you need drugs and everything else to make it and stuff, you know, you're mistaken. That's a form of pimping. An entertainer is nothing but uh, a commodity. As long as you sell them, they love you. As long as they can take your money any way they can, with the women and everything else, they love you. Quit selling records and see what they'll do to you. But since streaming come in, they want you to do this, they want you to do that, you know what I'm saying? Ain't nothing changed. Going back, and what you create, they gonna make the money off of it. And like I say, getting checks with two, two cents, three cents, four cents. What do you do when that check comes in? Do you even bother cashing that? I don't cash it. Yeah. Don't cash it. Back then, we, it was a thing called record hops. We would do record hops. All the Motown stars and I, we would do record hops. I was record hop with uh, Stevie Wonder. I can name all the, all the ones we did record hops. But I wasn't with Motown. But I toured with the Temptations and the, the Motown crowd. A lot of people thought I was Motown, but I never was in Motown. Did, was Barry ever trying to get you on the label? Many times. Well, tell me about that. What, what prevented I turned you? it down. How come? I didn't like the situation. Control. And I noticed that all the other entertainers here, just like anything else, okay, I can sign with you. You say, I'm going to take care of your bills, buy you a car, and blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, when your royalties come around, you ain't got no money because they didn't spend it. You see what I'm saying? And they had too many people there. You know what I'm saying? Right. When when uh, Wingate um, sold Mot- uh, Wingate sold, uh, Golden, World. Golden World to Barry Gordy, I could have went there just like that if I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Motown, I ain't, ain't going to take none from Motown. They made a lot of stars. Let's go with the final analysis. A lot of them are str- still struggling. Big name. Where's the money? A name is just like a brand new car. Looks good, but you ain't got no gas. What's it gonna take See, my thing is that I want the check, okay? But I'm gonna work for that check. I don't wanna get up there just to get a doggone check and let my fans down. Because I want my fans, their parents, their nieces, their nephews, they talk about this guy named Gino Washington. If you see his performance, you know what you're going to get. Thinking all of me. And that's how I am. And I don't perform less than I can give people that. Because that's very important to me. You see? But see, being an entertainer at that time, and now, a lot of promoters think these entertainers out here from my era, you know, they don't have nothing going on. They got it work for peanuts on some occasions and they do because they got to survive okay but god has blessed me i don't have to do that i can stay at home 
you know. And I was telling Jeff, we need another hit record. Once we hit that good record, I just feel with the uh, inventory and library I have, we can sing on this stage for years. <laughs> You know, it's just like anything else. You got to listen to music to understand what's selling, what's not selling, okay? And if you want to create a different type of a sound, you know, for yourself, do it. Because that's the sound may keep you alive. And as you know, listen to all my music. Does it sound like anybody else's music? No, absolutely not. Even record to record. I mean, all of your records have this unique identity unto themselves, you know, which I, I've always appreciated about your music. Right. Do the Frog is nothing like Puppet on a String. <laughs> right, right. What would you say, do you have a favorite of your records? All my records are my favorites. Every single one of them. Good or bad, even Do the Frog. Say, Mr. Frog. Yeah. What about that new dance you got out and I'm really thinking really oh, hip. Thank you. Say, Mr. Frog. Yeah, baby. Oh, well, I'm thinking about that. How did I make that song? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What was the inspiration? The inspiration of that tune. I ain't kidding. I think, let me see. Well, I did a record called Monkey With Me, too, you know, back right. in the day. But do the frog. Who's, who is the frog? Is that, are you doing the frog voice as well? No. Who is that? That was a guy named Rainey. Okay. Yeah, he's doing the frog, yeah. <laughs> but I got thinking about that. I mean, I, I got to think. world. <laughs> People remember, when they were sad, you made them happy. When in love, they made you happy. You know what I'm saying? So th that's what music is all about. It's only a memory and a sound. Just like a person may say, I love you. That don't mean nothing, but you say, I love you. That has meaning. And it makes me feel that all my fans, all the world, say they love me. Okay? So that's a blessing. That even today, when they think about entertainers from Detroit, my name is mentioned a lot, before a lot of them, you know. But really, realistically, I never really got the big break chance to do it all over the world. But now all my music is all over the world, so things change. The proud moments that, that I have now, and I think about it, that God allowed me to do what I did, no matter. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it that I own all my music. I'm proud of it that he allowed me to open up this place to help somebody. I'm mighty proud of that. When I walk in here, I see a dream. Everything in here is a dream. When I was a kid coming up, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, that I'm going to have my own television company, I'm going to have blah, 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 blah. Back then they said, oh, shut up. It ain't going to happen. But the Creator had allowed me to live my dream. And not too many people can say that. I've lived my dream, you know. I like all the music I, uh, 
I but I would say that my favorite, one of the really favorite tunes that I came out with, which uh, "What Can a Man Do," because that's the first record I released when I came home from service. Because I lost everything. What can a man do? This episode of One Record featured the following songs. Out of This World, Gino is a Coward, Now You're Lonely, Around the Town, Romeo, Do the Frog, and What Can a Man Do by Gino Washington. Special thanks to Gino Washington for participating. I interviewed him with the help of Jeff Meyer at Gino's production studio in Detroit, Michigan on February 13th, 2020. Thanks to Jeff Meyer for all of his involvement. Thanks to Adam Stanfell and Richie Wolfile for loaning records for this episode. This episode was produced by myself, Mike Dukevich. It was mastered by David Yurkovich at Balboa Recording Studio in Los Angeles. You can find out more about One Record at onerecordproject.com or at onerecordproject on Instagram and Facebook. Please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And please rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Because right now, that's the only place that I can see that we have any listeners. We have 24 reviews right now, or 24 ratings. 
and boy does that give me a thrill. As always, thank you for listening to One Record. The Creator never said your life was going to be perfect. <laughs> never said that. And don't depend on people to make your life perfect. You depend on yourself. You have to make your life perfect.